Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here at Rise. On behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're with us for the very first time. If you're with the guest with us uh, for the first time, maybe you're checking us out because uh, you saw our feed, maybe shared on a friend's wall, or maybe you just found us by searching. Man, we're so glad that you're here. I always encourage our guests to try us out at least three times. And here's why we do that, is I know that sometimes when you try out a new place, maybe a new church, especially right now, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So make sure you check us out again. We'd love to see you next weekend uh, here at Rise on our digital church online experience. I also want to say this as well. If you are uh, watching online, which you probably are right now, we'd love for you to actually share. Hit that share button and uh, man, share it with all over your walls on YouTube and maybe on Facebook. Let somebody know. You can even take out your phone right now and text someone and say, hey, come check this out at risechurchtx.com. We're in the middle of a series right now called Happiness Is. Happiness Is. We know that right now in our current season, man, there's a lot of issues going on in our world, and it's really kind of challenging the way we look at our happiness. You right now might be struggling with just finding some uh, reasonable way to be happy, and we wanted to address that because Jesus actually addressed that. Last week, we talked about really how Jesus started this, uh, what we call the greatest sermon ever preached. It was called the Sermon on the Mount, and the reason they said that is because he preached it on a mountainside, and he started his Sermon on the Mount with what we really call a poem. It's a poem on happiness, and it was really, they call it the Beatitudes, and they all kind of start with blessed are the, and it kind of goes through different uh, people who are blessed. And last week we talked about week one of the Happinesses series. I highly encourage you to check it out on our YouTube or our Facebook channels. And uh, you can go back and find out. We talked about his first blessed statement was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the poor in spirit we learned was blessed are those who depend on God. So I highly encourage you to check that out. This week we're going to go into the second blessed statement or the second happiness statement. Blessed there was makaros in Greek and meant to be happy, like soul happy, like deep happy, like joy happy. Not happiness that's determined by our circumstances, but by happiness that's determined by our God. And he goes into our second blessed statement, and this is what he says in verse 4, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and it says, blessed, if you're sitting there and you're watching, come on, say this when they say blessed, that's good, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be Comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I want to. We want to pick up a story in John chapter eleven. Now, I want to. I want to highlight a specific story that actually um, uh, happened in the, the the time that Jesus was ministering in this world. John chapter 11, it's a different book uh, inside of scripture. So you have Matthew, which we were in, Mark, Luke, and then John. In John chapter 11, Jesus is in full-time ministry. He's walking around. He's healing people. He's becoming the Jesus that we all know and read about. And in John chapter 11, a unique moment happens with Jesus and one of his friends, one of the people that he actually loved, a, a family that he uh, honestly interacted with a lot while he was in ministry, he actually stayed at their house. And so John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And we're going to pick it up in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Remember, this is an important person in Jesus's life. And it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. The Bible almost goes out of his way to say, this is an important family to Jesus. And in verse 6 it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's confusing. We're like, Jesus, if you loved Lazarus, why wouldn't you move in our timing? We talked about last week, kind of, we need to learn to depend on God's timing and not just our timing. It's kind of an example of that. And in verse 7 it says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back 
to Judea. Like, let's go back to, to, to where we're going to be. Let's, let's kind of be around. And then it jumps into verse 17. There, we have a few more interactions. We're going to kind of give you the overview of the story. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus, so to summarize, Jesus finds out his friend is sick. He waits two days. Then when he finally gets to where Lazarus is, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So verse 19 says, And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort uh, them in their loss for their brother. We're going to come back to that. It's important. And so in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping. So he gets there. He shows up. He sees all these people weeping. The scriptures actually account some interactions with Mary and Martha when it comes to Jesus about timing. That was really their issue. And in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then, where, where have you laid him? He, he asked. This is Jesus asking him, come and see, Lord. They replied. And in verse 35, this is, this is incredible. We see a, a part of Jesus that you've never seen before. It said, Jesus wept. The easiest scripture in all of the Bible to memorize, right? Jesus wept. And in verse 38, it says, Jesus once more was deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39 says, take away the stone, he said. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, he starts to have a prayer. Father, uh, I thank you that you have, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Powerful passage of scripture here where Jesus interacts with people who are grieving and mourning a major loss in their life. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of my message, uh, which I hope you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Sunday Morning. Like the other kind of morning. Sunday morning. What happens when, when you're in mourning? Blessed are those who mourn. Let's pray. Father, I love you, God. Lord, I know today you have a, a message that you've prepared for all of us. I, I really believe that in my heart today you're going to speak to us. Today that you're going to, to reach us in a way that, that only you can. And I pray that no matter where we're watching this, God, this is a timely word for all of us. I pray that you would speak to us in only the way that you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, um, you know, many of the people who come to our church, maybe you're watching right now, we all have a unique experience growing up. Um, I had a unique experience growing up because I grew up as, as a churchgoer. I grew up in church and in a unique denomination and in a unique take on Christianity. And I remember um, my, my, me growing up in church, I got to see some unique things from how we, we did church. I'll give you an example. We, we didn't just go to church on Sunday morning. I, I don't know, like right now, some of you are just getting into this church thing or maybe you're trying to figure out what it's like to be a Christian. And just coming to church on Sunday at 10.30 or at 11.15 or whatever you, whenever you're able to watch church, I know that's sometimes hard, but I grew up in a church where you had church like on Sunday, and then you had Monday night, you know, prayer meeting, a Tuesday night men's meeting, and Wednesday night church, and then Thursday night choir, and then Friday night youth, and then Saturday morning prayer, I mean like, and then we had Sunday morning, and it was, it was all the time. We had church all week long. Uh, it was unique kind of to our, our take and my experience in church. Uh, another one is we didn't have chairs. How many of y'all remember going to church, right, before we had to, had to kind of just go all digital? Well, you could sit in chairs. Well, you know, my church experience, we had pews. They were long benches. It was kind of a unique way uh, of doing things. Uh, one of the ways that we did things, uh, we, we had a dress code. I don't know if you had a dress code in your church. We had a dress code. We had a, our dress code started with all the guys had to wear three-piece suits. We had the power ties. We had the, you know, the jackets that had multiple buttons. I mean, come on, we, we were, we had to dress up. We had that, my grandma always used to say, you got to dress up 
up, dress in your Sunday best. Come on, if you, that's you in the comments, you gotta, don't let me just kind of be here all by myself. If that was you, just comment and say, I had to do that too. And uh, I know that uh, for me, one of our, our weirdest things, I think one of the most unique things that I, I had in my church is we had our own language. And, and we used to say kind of Christianese odd things that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But one of the things that always messed with me was we used to say this statement, um, if you were asked how you were doing, you, you always said this statement, no matter what you felt and no matter how you were doing, you said blessed and highly favored. And I was always, I knew people who were going through the worst of their life. And when somebody asked them how they were doing, especially in church, they would never tell the truth. They would always say blessed and highly favored. And I'm like, I know your life ain't blessed and highly favored. And it kind of perpetuated this idea that if you went into church, you had to be good. Because if you were at church and you were bad, then why would you be at church? Only good people go to church. I mean, it kind of perpetuated this, this weird false narrative, this myth, I think, of Christianity. When I knew that you weren't good, we always used to have to say blessed and highly favored. But here was the myth. The myth was simply this, that Christians should always be happy. Like if you love God, you can't have a bad day. If you love God, you can't have unhappy moments. If you love God, you're going to be stressed out. You can't be stressed and you can't be fearful and you can't have anxiety. Like you can't go through any regular motions of life because you love God. But the truth is, this is the truth. The truth of the matter is Christians can have unhappy moments. I mean, there's some moments in our life where we can be stressed, where you can have anxiety, where you can have an issue where like there's just things aren't going well, where like you actually aren't blessed. Come on, like, I mean, God forbid, where you can actually have a moment where you're not blessed and highly favored. Uh, Christians are, 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 are allowed to, to be real, we don't have to fake it. I like that. Like, I like that about our church. That's one of the, I think, the highlights. One of the things I hear most about our church is that we're genuine. Like, we don't have to fake it. I love that about our church. We can come to God in any way possible. Christians can have unhappy moments. Christians can have wild kids. Can I get an amen? Some of you are out there right now, and you're like, I know. I've been with them for, like, the last three or four weeks. We've been quarantined. They're wild. I don't understand it. Even empty nesters. Come on. When y'all grew up, you grew up your kids, and now you're older, and you see them, like, you don't know how you made it through. You, you were Christian. You believe God, but they're wild. Christians can have, like, issues with their money. I mean, like, we can have money problems. You can have bad investments. You cannot walk with a budget. You can be a Christian and love God and have money problems. You can have health problems. There could be something wrong with you right now, and you've been praying to God, and he hasn't answered your prayer, and you seem to still be sick. And you, It's confusing because you thought, man, as soon as you became a Christian, nothing bad would happen. I mean, we're all going through this thing called COVID-19 right now. We're in a crisis moment, and you would think that if we were Christian, we shouldn't have to go through that. It perpetuated this myth. That, but the truth is, is we're all, all those Christians can have bad days. We're all going through this COVID-19 issue. I, I found something interesting the other day that, that it was an article written in the, um, the Harvard Business Review by, by Dr. Kessler, and he, he was the foremost specialist with when it comes to grief it was he's the foremost specialist when it comes to grief and he wrote some things they asked him about COVID-19 because because there's no doubt we're all going through something right now we're all being we're all struggling with our happiness this is what he said he said we're all feeling a number of different griefs right now we feel the world has changed and it has we know it's temporary but it doesn't feel that way the loss of normalcy the fear of economic toll the loss of connection it's all hitting us collectively and we're grieving this is interesting he said, we're not used to this collective grief 
in the air. To summarize simply, what he's saying is we're all in a season of grieving and mourning right now. We're all in a season of loss. We're trying to figure out how to mourn the loss of so many things in our life. And if that's true, then we got to know how to do that well. Well, I'm so thankful that Jesus addressed it in one of the greatest sermons ever preached inside of Scripture. His second beatitude, if you will, his second blessed statement, his second happiness moment was blessed are those who mourn. So what he was saying was happy are the ones who mourn. Happy are the ones who who figure out how to actually be sad. It's confusing. You're like, Jesus, how can we be happy? And you're telling us in order for us to be happy, we have to figure out how to be sad. Culture is telling us for us to be happy, we shouldn't be sad. You're saying in order for us to be happy, we need to learn how to be sad. Like we need to learn how to have happiness for your soul and that it's found in navigating our sadness well. Not, not being the people that, 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 that stuff it and suppress it or repress it. It's not this unconscionable denial or even this conscience, conscious deniability. It's this way of us addressing it and, and actually learning how to, to see it. To, to identify it and then get it out. I like this. He says, basically, happy are the ones who express it and confess it. If you're a Christian in here, if you're, you're watching and you're saying, I, I need to learn how to deal with my sorrow and deal with my grief and deal with my mourning. I've lost so much in this season. If you stuff it and you repress it and you suppress it, you're not going to be happy long term. You and I all know this because you've met someone, not any of you, obviously, but you know someone who who does this on a regular basis, that if we don't let it out in healthy ways, we're going to act it out in unhealthy ways. And you and I have all met that person that's done that, that stuffed it for so long, and before you know it, they broke, and then it came out in an unhealthy way. Way. I think Jesus was on to something. Psalms chapter 39 says this. He says, David says, I was silent and held my peace to no avail. My distress only grew worse. That, that, that the people who like to stuff it and push it down and repress it and suppress it and not express it and confess it, they wind up actually getting worse. And what you find all throughout Scripture, if you learn how to mourn well, that it's God's actual gift to us to help get us through our most painful seasons in life. That grief and mourning is a gift to God, from God. It's a gift to us from God to lead us to our, to our comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted that you and I as Christians are called to express it and confess it. So if that's the truth, that we are all going through grieving and mourning, and we need to learn to express it and confess it and get it up and out of our spirit so that our soul can be happy, it leads us to the question, how does God comfort us? It leads us to that question, how does God comfort us? I'm going to give you three ways today how God comforts us through the story of Lazarus Mary and Martha, when their season of mourning. First way that God comforts us is this, is he gives us spiritual family for support. I want to read this for you in John chapter 11, verse 19. It says, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So Martha and Mary were there with their family, the carnal family, the, 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 the physical family, the, 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 the earthly family that God gave us was there with them already. But the Bible highlights that many other Jews, their spiritual family came alongside them in their season of mourning and loss 
and comforted them and supported them and was there with them on purpose because that's how God comforts us. God comforts us by sending us spiritual family. You and I were not meant to grieve and mourn alone. You just weren't. You you weren't meant to walk through those seasons of grief and mourning by yourself. You're not meant to carry it. I like what Paul said to the Romans. He knew this. He he, he spoke this to the church, and he was trying to help them understand how, how you and I should live life. He said, be devoted. I like this. He said, be devoted to each other. Like a loving family, that's why we, we speak family language, spiritual family. That's what our church is. We're spiritual family. We're not friends. We're family. He says, so be devoted to each other like family. And then he said, be happy with those who are happy. And then be sad with those who are sad. I like what the NIV version says. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn. There's our word for today. Mourn with those who mourn. That, that at some times when you're walking through life with people, they're going to go through some moment of loss. You should be there for them. That when they're happy, be happy with them. But when they're mourning, come on. You need to learn to mourn with them. To support them in community. That, that biblical mourning is, is actually happens in community. It happens with others. So that you can feel support from God and feel comforted. The way God comforts you is he sends you people. In your time of mourning, that's why you should never reject. If you're going through something, if you have a loss and someone says, can I send you a meal? Don't say no. Say yes. Some of us don't. We actually can struggle with just receiving the blessing, receiving the comfort. God's trying to send you comfort through people. That's how he works. So we need to learn to say say yes. I like what 1 Thessalonians says. He says, so comfort each other and give give each other strength. With this point, can I give you some suggestions, just a couple small suggestions when it comes to you being spiritual family and comforting others? The first thing I would say is don't minimize others' pain while they're mourning. Be careful that you don't say statements that sound holy and sound like you're trying to help them, but actually are harmful in the process. Don't say things like, well, at least you had them for X amount of years. Don't say things like, you know, uh, man, that's, well, you know, I, I know you're hurting, but it's really not that big of a deal. You, you don't understand sometimes mourning. Sometimes people mourn unique and interesting things. And the worst thing you can do is to come up and try to assume you know what's going on with them and say, th- or even say like Christian things, well, you should have just had faith. Come on, don't be like that. Like, like you got to be careful in those moments. Don't minimize other people's Pain, and I'll just say this for the parents out there, be careful how you speak to your kids when they're having a moment of mourning or loss. That if your kids are crying because something happened to them in their life and they feel some pain and some loss, don't walk up to them and say, stop crying. I mean, there's some times where you need to help them understand the gravity or the, maybe the big picture, but I'll just say this. There's some, you're missing out on some powerful moments when your kid is crying where you walk up and you be spiritual family to them, you sit down and cry with them. Instead of trying to tell them, stop crying, get over it, it's not that big of a deal. Because sometimes you're missing out on a moment where you can grieve with them. Second thing is, I will say this, is don't rush people. Everybody grieves and mourns at different seasons and different timelines and different ways. Don't rush them. Don't, you got to remember this. People don't get over loss. They tend to get through loss. So trying to get them to get over it is probably not the best way you can support and comfort. Come on, your fellow spiritual family. That's just a helpful suggestion for those of you who are trying to be a support and be a comfort. One thing I've learned and realized as I've been a pastor 
is I've sat at many deathbeds. I've sat with many people who walk through major loss. One of the best things I can do is not bring a Bible verse and not bring a good word and not bring something spiritual. Sometimes just me being present is the comfort that they need, which leads me to my second point. Number one, number one was, was to actually give, God gives us spiritual families for support. But the second way that God sends support is he, he, mourns, he mourns with us. That's the second way God comforts us. He mourns with us. Read this, verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. Don't miss that about our God. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they laid him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And, and, and this verse 35 rattles me to my core. He says, Jesus, Jesus wept. Jesus didn't. Give them a law that they needed to fulfill. He didn't quote scripture at them. He didn't say you should have had more faith. He, he, didn't, he didn't make them feel bad for weeping and for mourning. Jesus wept with them. Jesus wept with them. I always ask this question. Like, why did Jesus cry? Think about that. Why would Jesus cry? I know why I cry in my moments and seasons of loss. I cry because I don't understand. I cry because I don't have enough faith for the future. I cry because what happened wasn't necessarily what I had wanted to happen. I cry because I don't have control over the outcome, but Jesus didn't have any of those issues. Jesus had faith. Jesus understood. Jesus had the power to change it. Jesus didn't have any of the issues that I had, and yet Jesus cried. Why would Jesus cry? The answer is found in verse 33, right before the statement that Jesus wept. Verse 33 says, and, and Jesus, when, when Jesus saw her weeping. He saw that it hurt her. He saw her, and then it goes on to say, and the other Jews weeping. He saw them. He walked in, and the Bible says that he was troubled. He didn't ignore it. He didn't walk away. He didn't try to cover it up with some spiritual mumbo-jumbo. He he saw them crying and he, he recognized they were mourning and he sympathized and he empathized to the point that he entered into it. Come on, Jesus wept could be the greatest set of scriptures inside of all the Bible because it moved us in our thinking and our theology from temple thinking and Levitical law that God stands on the sidelines of heaven and watches all of our suffering and our moanings and our groanings and he watches us cry and he wishes that, he, that we wouldn't and we would have a big he, he erases all of that since Jesus comes in, and now instead of crying for us, Jesus now cries with us. You, you have to see it, that the way he comforts us is that he doesn't comfort us. Temple thinking, it comforts us by mourning with us. Psalms 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Hebrews 4 says, I, we, we, for we not have an, a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of my infirmity. He's saying, you, you and I have a high priest. We are, we are covered by a high priest who actually feels 
my needs. I don't know about you, but I need to serve and worship and know a God that feels the feeling of my infirmity. That when I cry, he recognizes it. That when I moan, he recognizes it. When I have tears, he reserves them in a vial. He, run, he, he actually feels me. I need, a, I need a God who feels me in my pain. You could be in pain right now and going through loss right now. And Jesus feels your pain, not because he has to, because he wants to. There, there's a, I need a God who's, who's there. For every woman who has cried in her room and her closet because she couldn't seem to figure out how to manage her life in this season right now, you didn't cry alone. For every man who pulled into the driveway after they lost their job or after they didn't know what to do and maybe where their money didn't know where your money was going to come from and you sat there and your tears fell upon your steering wheel and you didn't know how to have the words to say to your wife and to your kids on how to lead, you did not cry alone. For every child who came home from school bullied, feeling like you didn't fit in, feeling like you didn't get accepted, feeling like you didn't know how to move on and you didn't feel like you were getting loved, you need to know you didn't cry alone, that there's a God who actually cries with you. He can be touched by the feeling of our infirmity. God comforts us by, by mourning with us. By mourning with us. God is not just the God of the mountaintop. He's the God in the valley. He's with us everywhere. And the final point is this, the final way that God comforts us in our mourning is he uses our grief to grow us. Verse 41 says this, where Jesus is speaking to God the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. That's important. This is why this happened. That they may believe that you sent me. I tarried while they toiled and lost. I, 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 I loitered. Father God, while they languished, I, I, I waited while they mourned because they, 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 I wanted to give them an opportunity to grow. I needed to see if I can grow their faith, their trust, their love, their character, that God, he shows us that Jesus is in the, the business of redeeming crisis moments for our growth and our development. That's, that's kind of how God does things. I love the story in Genesis chapter 50. You should go back and read it. It's a story of Joseph and his brothers. If you don't know what it is, I'll give you a quick summary. Joseph was in a family. His brother sold him off into slavery. He, went, he winds up having a crazy life, eventually becomes an amazing steward inside the palace. The brothers come back to him later, many years later, and they are now at his feet instead of Joseph being at their feet. Joseph has an opportunity to get, get him back, but he doesn't do it, and he pens these moments in Genesis chapter 50, and it says, as for you, he's speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, showing us one of the God's greatest strategies and principles to take what the enemy meant for evil and actually turn it around for our good, that God can actually take the thing that the enemy meant to kill you and deliver us. 
in those moments. So when you're mourning a loss, when you're, when you're grieving loss in this season, it could be that God's trying to deliver you in a unique way. Because there's multiple forms of deliverance. One of the forms of deliverance that we all pray for, this is kind of like our normal prayer. We want him to deliver us out. Like everybody say out where you're sitting there. Just say out. He's, he's trying to, you, you and I pray, God, get me out of this situation in whatever form you, you might take. God, get me out of this. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I want to do. Like, God, deliver me out of this moment. That's one form of deliverance that God does act upon. But what I've noticed is that in a lot of moments in my life where I'm going through tragedy and loss and going through issues, that instead of God delivering me out of the moment, instead of removing me from it, that God delivers me through the moment. So he actually uses this moment to develop me and to get me through it and to actually grow me in the process so that when I I get out of it, come on, this thing ain't going to last forever. COVID-19 ain't going to be around for long, but you don't want to look back on these moments and say, I missed it. Like, I missed my opportunity for God to develop me. I hear a lot of this right now. Like, we hear it all over. While you're trapped at home, while you're, at, you're in prison in your own house, while you're quarantined and you can't go anywhere, while you're trapped, try these moments to keep you from being trapped. I, I, I kind of take, take issue with that. Maybe you aren't trapped. Maybe you're free. Maybe the thing that was trapping you, which was your lifestyle or your processes or your plans or you trying to keep up with the Joneses or you trying to make sure you get the boat because they got the boat or I got to get the bigger house or I got, maybe it's that God used this moment to redeem and to strengthen you and now you're not trapped. Actually, you were trapped before. You're free now. When was the last time you got to spend this amount of time with your kids? When you got to walk around the block with your children? When you got to stare at your family and your wife and just look at her in her eyes, look at your husband in his eyes spend quality time and you're trying to get out of it you're not trapped you're free why because God strengthens us he develops us in these moments he he shows us that he can take what the enemy meant for harm and turn it around for your good he specializes in that and that's how he comforts you in these moments sometimes it takes us a little bit to get to there but I promise you it's the way God works I'm closing with this that if you have a moment in your life right now If you are grieving, which I promise you, you are, you don't even know it. The discomfort that you feel is part mourning, part grieving. You've lost, we've lost money, we've lost jobs, we've lost opportunities, we've lost connection, we've lost moments of our our normalcy in life. And because of that, because you're grieving, God says, Jesus speaks to us that if you want happiness in your season, learn to get it out so that God can comfort you. He can comfort you by sending you spiritual family. He can comfort you by sitting in your tears, sitting with you while you're crying instead of judging you and telling you to get stronger. He can just sit with you and he can have tears roll down his face as your tears roll down your face. And finally, that God can actually use our grief to grow us. He comforts us by growing us in the process. You can be redeemed. If you just let him redeem you. And so my my hope and my prayer to you is that you and I would remember happiness is found with the people who learn how to mourn well so that they will be comforted.